This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, and mom, righteously American. Hey, welcome. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. We are super, super psyched. It's Monday. We have so much to discuss today. So what we're going to do is we are going to go straight into the encouragement. We're also going to dive in on this story about this father. Really fantastic guy, if you ask me. Um, His family was involved in an attempted carjacking and his kids were in the car and he chased that car down. And I'll tell you the rest of the story when we get to it, but it's an exciting story. And, and obviously it's never a good thing when someone loses their life. Um, but it's always a good thing when a dad is able to protect his kids and his family. And it's an exciting story because it's just one of those, you know, imagine what it could have been and then think about what it actually was. And it just, it's fantastic. So we're also going to dive in on how President Trump has taken on the so-called squad and how he's winning. The president is actually doing something that other presidents and elected leaders have not been so good at doing, and that is taking an issue, crystallizing it, and explaining it in a way that most people can get. Of course, liberals who hate the president and are suffering from Trump derangement syndrome are never going to be on board with him attacking anyone who's a Democrat. So we're not talking about those people. The people that really are the target of this conversation are those who are in the middle, who don't understand what's happening with the Democrats on immigration or taxes or the budget or defense or Iran or climate. And they were, they're trying to make heads or tails, and they see a lot of comments coming from these new freshman Democrats, the progressive leaders, that they're the leaders of the progressive caucus, and they're trying to make heads or tails of it. So that is a conversation that the president should be involved in. He should be speaking to the American people and to voters and getting them to uh, either buy what he's selling or crystallizing their support of you know, what the Democrats are putting down. And that that's all this really is. It, when we discuss the polls and we discuss what people are doing, you know, on the ground, get out the vote efforts, the air wars, when they start running the ads, all of it is, I believe this, they believe that, mine is better, right? That's the simplified version of what we're hearing. But how do you explain that in a way that people don't forget? Well, the president has not just made the statement and then doubled down, he's tripled down. And now he's on his way to a quadruple down on saying, yeah, you guys are mad. You're saying I'm a horrible person, but I'm not taking back what I said. What I said was the truth. I said it. And now you just have to deal with it. And you got to love that. Well, I got to love it. I think it's fantastic. Okay, so we'll dive into that. Black home ownership dropped to an all-time low. Um, And then Claire McCaskill, remember, she used to be a senator from the great state of Missouri where we call home. Well, she's back. She's got something to say about AOC. So we'll listen to a little bit of audio from her. So right now, I want to dive into uh, this encouragement for today. Boy, has it been such an adventure. Just uh, this Bible study book that we're studying um, in kind of a group study. And then there's also some other like really interesting things that like yesterday church service was amazing. I mean, I, I feel like I'm just in one of those, you know, how it's a period where everyone is um, putting down some good Bible teaching and you're just like, Ooh, that's good. Ooh, that's good. That's how it's been for the past few days. It's just been like uh, everywhere I look, I'm like, someone's putting down something amazing and I'm trying to get as much of it as I can. So today's encouragement verse is James 1, 19 through 22. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now, this is important because we we all do this, right? You go to church on Sunday, you hear the word, you're like, man, that's good. And then you put your Bible, and I was reading a book over the weekend where he said, 
um, people have their Bible in the back of the back window of their sedan. It gets tossed there whenever they're done with church. And then when they get ready for church the next Sunday, the last thing they do when they get out of the car is they reach back in that window, grab the Bible and take it inside. So all week long, it's just collecting dust in the back window of their sedan. Now, this obviously this book was a little older when most Americans drove sedans. Now most Americans drive crossover SUVs. And so it's not in a back window someplace. It's in the middle uh, between your two front uh, chairs. There's like an armrest with storage or it's in that well below you're driving a minivan or it's on the second row or the back seat um, or it's tucked in one of the pockets in the trunk, you know, where you just lift your hatchback and you tuck something in there and that's where you store it and you get it in and out. But our Bibles are not meant to be just something that we carry almost like a paperweight in and out of church and never get cracked open during the week. So it's hard if you let it be hard for you. Like when, when I hear people say, Oh, well, it's, it's hard to have a Bible reading time. Well, yeah, it's kind of not, it's not, it's not that hard. And the way you get from it feeling hard and being hard and it actually being something that's, that you actually regularly do, meaning you crack open your Bible is you make it easy for yourself. So the first thing you can do is obviously you get you version, you version on your cell phone. I'm holding up my cell phone for people who are uh, watching on the live stream. Welcome to the show. And if you have you version on your phone, then you have the Bible on your phone. Now, obviously, if you have any search engine, all you need to do is type in any scripture you're looking for and you can find it. You can also subscribe to websites that send you a scripture of the day or a, a devotional of the day, a Bible verse of the day, yada, yada, yada. But true Bible study means you're actually, it's marinating on your brain because you've taken it in during your morning time where you've set your appointment and you're reading it then. But then you've also maybe then you get your scripture of the day. You, you see what I'm saying? You're setting it up so it hits you more than one time during the day. And the reason this is important is because life is hard. And living life as a Christian, if you want your Christian walk to be evident and for people to be able to see it, you need help doing that because we can't actually walk out our Christian faith on our own. It's called discipleship for a reason. We have to be connected to the one whom we we claim to love and serve and obey. So, Let's break this down really quickly. We have, first of all, we need to openly and readily receive the word of God. The word of God is a profound and mysterious thing. It starts with creation when God simply speaks and infinite things come into existence out of nothing. And the word of God is what actually becomes incarnate, taking on fleshly form and living among us in the being of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Then the word of God is truth. It's light, it's power. And when God speaks, People had better listen or the consequences can be very dire. When we, when, we, when we act as if God isn't still moving and acting in our world, it's because we haven't connected to him in his word. Because we, we lose the ability to see the evidence of that if we're not reading God's word. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And that's Hebrews 4.12. So the holy word of God is the scriptures. It's in, you know, Bible form. So if you want to have your Bible that you only take to and from church, you get another one and you place it somewhere where you can be sure to crack it open, like on your desk um, or on your nightstand where, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have access to this. And then you make an appointment with yourself to actually do it. It is an amazing privilege to have the word of God and to be able to see it operate in our lives actively. And I want to give you some ways that we know that can happen. Um, okay. So the way that we know that that can happen is first of all, we want to be pure. So we want to renounce all evil. James one twenty one says, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Um, and moral filth is prevalent everywhere that we go. I mean, think about it everywhere you look, everywhere you, you know, take any, anything that you're taking a look at out outside of your home. And even in your home, if you turn your TV on or your radio or look on the internet, you're going to see there's this amazing level of filthy, disgusting, awful content that is everywhere we look in order to be able to kind of push back on that. We, we have to say to ourselves, well, how, how do I push back on that? In my own strength? No, in the strength of the Holy Spirit. So 
We need to make a conscious decision to get it out of our lives if we want the blessing of God's word to truly flow through us. The next thing is to purify ourselves. So when Israel received the word of God, which was the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, they first had to purify themselves ceremonially and practically. What? I have a call. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Let me just wrap this a little bit up then. Um, We have to be humble. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word that's planted in us, which can save us. And planted in us means make it a part of ourselves, which means we have to take the word of God and we literally we're eating it by reading it, hearing it, speaking it to others and meditating on it so it can feed our souls. And then once the word is planted in us, it's like a seed ready and wanting to grow, which we have to intentionally nourish and we know that that will happen because God's word promises us that it will. So um, let's take a call. Thanks for calling into the show. Oh, <laughs> so the call lines are 866-766-1776. And I have, so I've gotten out of the habit of giving them because in the past couple of weeks, Noah and I were just discussing this. We were like um, totally discussing the fact that I've had this huge learning curve and I feel so like I feel mentally clunky and kind of weighed down. And, um, so I, I definitely was like, okay, you know, um, how do, how do, how do we get everything done? And Noah calls it the workflow. And so I've been working on my workflow, trying to get my workflow, um, smoothed out and, and kind of ready to, you know, do you know what I'm saying? Like you, when you're doing something new, you have to create new habits and the new habits that you create will, they, they become the new order of what you're doing. And I had a very set routine that I operated under when I was at AFR and I would just like, it was almost like you get up, you know, pull some audio clips, make sure they're over there by this time, you know, make sure the show sheet's finished by this time. Um, you know, I have to make a title for the show. I have to make sure I do a little social media, yada, yada, yada. And that was the thing. And now I have to do, it's the same process really, but it's different because everything is originating in a different place and it has to be kind of put through in different places. Now, if you're watching on the live stream right now, awesome. Thank you for being here. You're seeing some chat up on, I'm going to put the chat up. The only chat that we feature on the show in the live stream is the chat that appears on stacyontheright.com. And that is the live stream that's over there. And then the chat window, that's the preferred method for live streaming the show if you're watching it. Now, if you're listening to the show, if you're listening to the podcast, welcome. Thank you so much. And we just hit our first podcast benchmark and we're so excited and we're looking forward to even more growth. So keep sharing the show. Um, But if you're coming in from Google or from uh, iTunes or Stitcher or any of the other platforms that currently carry the podcast and allow you to subscribe. Thank you for being here and thank you for sharing and telling other people about the show. And thank you for downloading the show and listening to it. That's the best. Like, it's so awesome. Um, And that's the bulk of our audience also. So I just want to give a shout out. Um, And don't forget, you can always support the show if you want to kind of be a part of what we're doing here. You can tune in um, and for support over at paypal.com oh no paypal.me slash stacy on the right or you can go to um patreon.com slash stacy on the right and that those are two ways that you can support and then one thing that's going to happen um i would say in a few weeks we'll we'll probably be ready to roll it out is someone was asking about commercial free stacy on the right podcasts well those will be in the support section so if you want to listen to the show commercial free you'll be able to do that on Patreon. So any donation of any kind on Patreon will get you access to the commercial free Stacy on the right. And we'll probably be launching that. I would say probably next month we'll be looking at doing that. And it'll be a bonus for people who are Patreon supporters. And so for everyone who just recently signed on to that, thank you so much. We're so appreciative of what you do and you being here and supporting us. Um, and then everybody, all the support it has been awesome. It's been amazing. And I've been really encouraged by the emails that people have sent over where they've just like some people have shared personal things about how the show has impacted them over the time that we were at urban and AFR. And that was just amazing. Like that, that was one of those things where some of the stories I've read, I'm like, wow, I had no idea. I just, I was just doing a show y'all. 
<laughs> just having a good time doing a show. And it turns out it's really been impactful, which is super encouraging to me. Uh, so when we get back, we're going to be coming in with that audio from Claire McCaskill. And then I'm going to ask Noah to weigh in on this big squad fight. I can't wait to hear what he has to say about this. <laughs> okay, we'll be right back. Stay there. I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that our daughters have what they need to grow and learn. But that isn't the case for nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. that struggle with hunger. Childhood hunger is a heartbreaking reality that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and provides it to families and children in need. You can help kids in need in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school. But I still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. What if I could tell you that a full-blown wildfire was going to occur tomorrow right where you live? Tell you exactly which neighborhoods it would engulf and how fast it would do it. The first thing you would do is talk with your loved ones and make a plan today. It's true. I can't tell you a wildfire will strike tomorrow. But shouldn't you make a plan anyway? Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. My name is Hunter Hayes. I know myself, and I know my buzzed warning signs. One shot is about knowing my limits, or not necessarily knowing my limits. I start with one shot to have a good time. One of the signs that I'm starting to feel a little buzz is when I start solving not only my own problems, but the entire world's problems. When I know I'm going out, I know I'm going to start with calling for a ride. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. When might you be buzzed? When you suddenly love everything. You guys, I love this song. I love these nachos. I love our kickball league. Ugh. I love this guy. What's your name? You know what I love? A ride when it's time to head out. If you see a buzzed warning sign, call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. I love your car. Is this real leather? Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Now, I think the thing that really set me off this week was them going after Sharice Davids. This is the first Native American woman elected to Congress. She is the second openly lesbian member of Congress in history. She represents... Kansas, from a district that has been held by the Republicans for cycle after cycle after cycle. She took out an incumbent Republican congressman. The notion that they're going after her uh, and playing the race card, uh, what are they thinking? I mean, what the hell are they thinking? Um, this is a situation where I appreciate the passion and I appreciate uh, the point of view and I appreciate the debate, mm -hmm. but we have got to come together and stay fixed on the goal here and remain pragmatic about how we win in 2020. By the way, you sound like Ron Johnson. Oh, wow. So that's Claire McCaskill, and she's talking about strategy with, admittedly, we all know that the the media is in the tank for the Democrats, but it's just every time I hear them on the shows and they're having these chats about how the Democrats can win and the person they're talking to is a reporter, like a host, and that host has no objectivity whatsoever. They're so clearly in the can for her and trying to help her get her 
thing done. It's just funny to me. It's it's so what is she talking about? Well, if you didn't hear the president this weekend, you got to go get that audio for yourself. I I wasn't going to do a whole clip rundown here on the show. Uh, Now that we're on the one hour format, we can't play a ton of audio because it just it would take up all the time that we have. Uh, But you probably heard the clips and, and things that he said. And other politicians would have made that statement and it would have caused a furor and then they would have started walking it back. And President Trump has not been afraid to just address the issue, which is Ilhan Omar and uh, Alexandria Occasional Cortex. These people, they represent the Democrats and swing voters are now beginning to understand that. They've made anti-Semitic statements and they've never apologized and they have completely obliterated any kind of like we can work with you on this. Like, is there anything that they can they're willing to work with the Republicans on? Nothing. They proved that when they wouldn't sign the immigration funding package to get more bed spaces and and more facilities up and running on um on the the southern border that that little funding package even nancy pelosi had to admit it was be bad form for the democrats to oppose that but she did uh see her four little votes that didn't side with them and it made them look bad it made the democrats look bad so the president is delineating that and there's this there's there's more information on it so first you've got mccaskill actually attacking the progressive wing of the caucus um, from her position, she has a great fundraising apparatus and she still has all the names and, and everything that you need to kind of get stuff done. Like she can help get things done. And that's her role now that she's no longer in the Senate. And one of the things that they're looking to her for is they they want her support for everybody who's in the caucus to make sure that they can get the funding that they need and, and keep things uh, up and running and be able to mount a credible campaign against President Trump. So... There, there's her statements. She's clearly coming out against the Progressive Caucus and in favor of Nancy Pelosi, but she's also doing something else. It's and this is kind of fascinating. Um, she's kind of pushing back because she wants swing voters and Americans, any any American who might know anything or be considering anything that 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 the Democrats are putting out there. She wants them all to know a couple of things. And one of them is that this exclusive poll that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar and that other one, Ayanna Presley, that they're defining the Democrats in swing states and that that's not what they want. So top Democrats are actually circulating a poll. Now, notice I said top Democrats. This is not Republicans circulating this poll. It's Democrats. They have a part of their house that's on fire. They've got a big mansion. And I got a couple of wings that are smoking and they, they smell fire. They, they smell the smoke. They know something horrible is happening. So what they're wanting to do is they want to tamp it down. And AOC has actually become a defining face for the party with a crucial group of swing voters. And this matters because the Democrats want those swing voters to know that not every one of them is into socialism, yet what do we see at the last two debates? The, the last pair of debates that happened where the Democrats were on the stage and every single candidate who had enough polling, so all of them except two or three, were able to weigh in on issues. All of them weighed in as supporting socialism. Swing voters don't like socialism. They might be okay with being really liberal on social issues. Uh, they might be okay with the government funding certain programs more or the idea of an, a universal health care option. But swing voters are not in favor of obliterating the private health insurance plans of 177 million Americans who have employer-sponsored plans. Swing voters are not in favor of adopting socialism and replacing capitalism as the primary method for uh, you know, creating wealth and jobs and, and income in America. And they're not for top-down government control. So you have to give swing voters a little bit of credit because if you just listen to Democrats, all swing voters are, they're just moderate Democrats. And in some ways they are like, I have made that statement before because I noticed that a trend just anecdotally for myself among people that I discuss politics with, especially if someone approaches me and they start off with, they'll come. Yeah, I know you're, you're on the right. And then they'll kind of laugh a little. I'm like, yeah, that's the name of the show. And then they'll say, well, I'm an independent. And then I'm, I'm in my mind, I'm like, three, two, one. I'm socially liberal, but I believe in capitalism. I'm like, 
bam, there it is. I, I can see it coming a mile away. So what they really are is they're Democrats on on the issues that matter the most, like whether or not you get to live, whether or not, um, you know, <laughs> I mean, all the all the personal liberty and freedom that you have. Can you defend yourself against an attacker without being sent to jail afterwards? Are you allowed to own a firearm? Can you defend yourself without having to first go before a court or a magistrate and justify the fact that someone's stalking you or wants to kill you or has threatened you or has already beat the living stuffing out of you? You know, that kind of stuff. Um, that that's kind of like foundational bedrock kitchen table stuff. I want to be able to not just in my home have as many guns as I want, but on my person and in my vehicle, I should be able to carry guns and firearms and be able to defend myself. And I, I don't mean be able to after I go ask somebody's permission. I mean, I am not a felon. I am a law abiding citizen. And when they run a background check on me, I can buy firearms. I know I can because I've done it many times before. And I should be able to go out if I feel threatened, if I feel like I want a new gun, if I feel like I saw something that someone else had, I'm like, I want to try that out. I want to get that and give, give the kids a go on that. I should not have to go before some judge and justify my desire to go buy another firearm. I should, I should be able to do as I am here in Missouri. I go out, I buy what I want, I bring it here and I do whatever I want with it. And as long as I'm not breaking the law, nobody has anything to say about it. That is the way it's supposed to be. But but again, Democrats don't believe that. They're all about trying to vilify and demonize people like me for owning firearms. And and that's a thing that a lot of swing voters are not really in favor of. They They might be in favor of carefully worded surveys that try to make it sound as if we need a little, we just need a little bit more gun control. It's like somebody telling you, how's your, how's your lunch? Oh, it's delicious. Did you get just a teensy bit of poison in it? And you're like, no, I didn't get any poison. There better not be any poison in it. Um, you don't need a lot of poison. You don't need enough poison to kill you. You just need a little bit. And they're, you would, you would definitely say no to that, wouldn't you? That's the policies that the Democrats are putting down. So anyway, I, on this poll, it's, Becoming clear to them, a top Democrat who was involved in the 2020 congressional races, there's a quote from him. It says, if all voters hear about is AOC, it could put the House majority at risk. She's getting all the news and defining everyone else's races. Now, the poll, which was taken in May before Speaker Pelosi's latest run in with AOC and the three other liberals, included 1,003 likely general election voters who are white and have two years or less of college education. So again, white voters, two years or less of college, 1,003 of them. These are the white non-college voters who embraced Donald Trump in 2016 that the Democrats need to win if, uh, if they want uh, you know, to be able to take back even more of the House and maybe even gain the, the Senate. And they definitely want to take the White House and they can't do it without these voters. So the group that took the poll shared the results with Axios on the condition that the group not be named because the group has to work with all parts of the Democrats. Isn't that something? So they have to work incognito to tell the truth, because if they tell the truth publicly, they'll be vilified and they won't be allowed to work with certain campaigns. So here are the findings. Ocasio-Cortez was recognized by 74 percent of the voters in the poll. Twenty two percent of the voters had a favorable view. That kind of name recognition usually comes right before someone runs for major political office like and I don't mean a congressional district. I mean, like the Senate or the presidency, vice presidency, you know, something major. Um, It's amazing the kind of name ID she has. And it's all bad. And then Representative Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, another member of the so-called squad, was recognized by 53 percent of the voters and nine percent had a favorable view. And that's not a typo. That's not me mistaking it. It's not 19%. Nine single digits. 9% of the people polled, white, non-college voters, had a favorable view of Ilhan Omar. Socialism was viewed favorably by 18% of the voters and unfavorably by 69%. If that's not a smackdown on socialism, I don't know what is. And I I, want to just make one point. If Nancy Pelosi was really the boss her daughter says she is, if she was really the wearer of that red coat and those aviators like she came out from that negotiation with President Trump and she walked out of the White House portico and she she walked out like she owned that place. If she really owned the White House and she really owned all of the power of that gavel, she would take this poll to her caucus and she would say, 
As of right now, we are readjusting ourselves to what the American people want. Socialism isn't it. Not only are we not going to talk about socialism, but we're going to give up on these kinds of views. And anybody who goes against me is not going to have any funding for their races. They're not going to have any support from the party. And we're going to make sure that you go off into obscurity because our voters don't want this. That, that's what she should say. But she's not as powerful as we've been told. And that's the truth. So capitalism was 56% favorable, 32% unfavorable. And the top Democrat who was running this poll said socialism is toxic to these voters. Democrats are performing better with these voters than in 2016, but not as well as they did in 2018. And party leaders are going to continue to try to define themselves around more mainstream members. Now, the other side, here's a quote from Omar. She weighed in at the Netroots Nation conference, she said, we never need to ask for permission or wait for an invitation to lead. There's a constant struggle oftentimes with people who have power about sharing that power. So I'll say this about Ilhan Omar. She's the gift that keeps on giving. As long as she's saying that some people did something about 9-11, as long as she's saying stuff like that, as long as she's saying anti-Semitic comments, uh, as long as they're uplifting Palestine and vilifying Israel. And as long as they have an attitude that kind of makes it clear that mainstream things are not their things, we can be dusting off our celebration items, all your Trump gear, Trump hats, Trump shirts, and all of the attending snacks and party animal type stuff, the Hillary Clinton toilet paper, everything you've got. You got to get it all out, dust it off, get it ready for 2020 because we'll be celebrating again if they continue to run on these issues. Uh, So I promised you I want to I want to get to this other story and this and all of this you can find at listen.stacyontheright.com at three o'clock when today's show goes live or there like just just around that time. Um, The links to these stories are in the link area. So it's all in the in the show prep for the show. It's really cool. I, I'm really enjoying Fireside, which again, I have to give a shout out to Noah. Oh, so I wanted to get Noah's take on, I don't know if, if he's available here. Hey, um, oh, Hi. awesome. Hi. So Noah, what, what's your take on this? It's, it's like a real fight. I thought it was something that would blow over by now, but this is a real fight over the direction of the Democrats. Which specifically? Well, the, that... So Nancy Pelosi has been verbally jousting with the squad members, but now you have uh, McCaskill coming out and she's upset with the squad members for attacking the the new member from Kansas. And they're, they're, now this poll comes out and shows that swing voters are negatively, you know, viewing the squad and these so-called, you know, progressives. And they're painting them as the face of the Democrats, which is horrible for them looking at 2020. What's interesting about that, Stacey, they don't have a platform, right? And they're so worried about eating each other at the at the throats. You know, if you think about it, how is it that we live in a world where Nancy Pelosi and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez don't get along, right? They both fundamentally believe the exact same thing, and yet they, they, they can't seem to get along. And so... Uh, until they can find unity within themselves they and, and start working on what actually matters, which is a platform, they have no shot in 2020. But here's here's an interesting question for you. What could they possibly come up with as a platform? Let's just say all that bickering was gone and they were actually focused on issues. What issues are you going to tackle? The economy couldn't possibly get much better. Certainly not under any plan they would devise. Americans don't care anymore about transgender bathrooms. Um, so, so what and 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 uh, and and you know, sexual identity and all that, what thing can they base their next campaign on to move forward in 2020? What's going to take Trump voters away? They tried Russia. They banged that drum for two, almost two years. They didn't get any, that didn't yield anything. What's left? Well, I mean, climate change and socialism. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> oh, healthcare—they could—they could get well, upset so about healthcare. Healthcare might be the one shot they have because, frankly, Republicans haven't given a great answer. They had an opportunity to repeal Obamacare, lock, stock, and barrel, and they sat around until uh, until they lost their opportunity to do that. Now we have the Senate; we don't have the House. They they squandered that opportunity, and so that would be the one thing Democrats could come back on it and try and run. But they don't even have a solid plan to fix their original bad plan. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, the other point that I would make to piggyback on what you've just said is that 
when people are happy with the economy, they usually don't want to see a change in the White House. That's right. Because that would mean a change in the economy. It, it seems that whenever we switch presidents, the economy either goes, it goes in the opposite direction of wherever it is when the switch takes for- place. So you're right. I think Americans are going to stick with that. But it's just, I just like seeing them fight. I'm so surprised that they're actually fighting each other this way. It's really shocking. Um, thanks for weighing in on that, Noah. All hey, right, ben. we'll be back with more. Stacy on the right, right after this. Y'all stay there. I'm probably okay to have one more drink before I drive home. I'm probably okay. I open the window to stay alert. Probably okay. I just popped some gum in my mouth. Step out of the car, please. I probably made a mistake. Probably okay isn't okay when it comes to drinking and driving. If you see a warning sign, stop and call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzzed driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Uh Uh-oh, Brad's buzzed. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's starting with the woots. (laughs) And now a speech. I just want to say that friendship is about heart. Heart and brain. Who's with me? Good thing is, he knows when he's buzzed. And my brain is saying, when it's time to go home, somebody call me a ride. Love that guy. Me too. Know your buzzed warning signs? Call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. When is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? When floodwaters reach your door? When wildfires are engulfing the edge of your neighborhood? Or an earthquake is destroying buildings? Or is the best time, perhaps, today? During a disaster, you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think. Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Jill, why don't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service. And the ad hey everybody, Rachel Ray here. Nothing brings a bigger smile to my face than cooking up a big meal for the whole family and lots of friends. But there's not enough room at my table for the 17 million kids in our country who struggle with hunger. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks collects surplus food to give hope to hungry kids. But they can't do it without your help. Support Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash our stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Hey, friends. Welcome back to the show. Um, I wanted to ask if we could play um, just the intro, the new intro that we have with with the voiceover in it, like the whole the as it comes in at the top of the show, because we had a little snafu with our audio today where people on the live stream didn't get to hear it. Um, and I don't know if we can do that. Okay, here it is. This is our new show intro. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible-reading, gun-toting, Air Force veteran, wife and mom, righteously American. <laughs> do you love that? I do. Um, so that is our new intro music. And 
And I have to say thanks to Kyle for voicing that over. And I have to say thanks to Noah for making it possible, connecting me up to Kyle and, and getting all of that together. Um, we are just, again, we're creating new things for the show and growing it and making it um, exactly what we'd like to do, uh, making it exactly what we'd like it to be. So now I, so first of all, I had a couple things. And so we're going to get through all of this stuff right here in um, this segment. We have to, because this is the last segment of the show. Um, and, and we'll start with, this is over at Deseret News. And I thought this was really good for us to notice because if you're like me, you know, we have college age kiddos and then we have one kiddo who just turned 16. And I do get concerned about um, like, dementia, mental acuity, mental, you know, quickness, et cetera. And the reason that I get so concerned about that is, is it can happen to anyone. And if you have any of it running in your family, then it means you're genetically predisposed to having it happen to you. It's kind of like, how are your parents when they were at this age group and that age group? And, and if you, like we were blessed to have my grandparents, they just passed away within the past five years on one side and on the other side, they've been gone a lot longer, but they were about 10, 15 years older on that side of, of our family. So I can remember my grandparents and I can remember what they were like in their seventies and in their eighties. And so then I have my parents to look at and my husband's parents to look at, to kind of see where they are in their, you know, in, in their different decades and so you can kind of say, okay, so that's, that's how my grandma was when she was that age. And you, you can kind of, it, it, it's kind of like a little bit of a forewarning for you. Well, this piece over here at Deseret News is really important. It's a healthy lifestyle may offset the genetic risk of Alzheimer's. Uh, it says you can actually, you, if you have a high genetic risk, meaning one of your parents or both of them had Alzheimer's, you can actually lessen your risk and incidence of actually getting a form of dementia yourself by having good health habits. So if you have a high genetic risk and poor health habits, you're about three times more likely to develop dementia versus those with low genetic risk and good habits. Researchers reported this on Sunday. So regardless of how much genetic risk someone had, a good diet, adequate exercise, and limiting alcohol and not smoking made dementia less likely. Now, let's just put it out there right away. Eating correctly, it's not impossible, but it takes a, a huge mental shift. Uh, not drinking as much alcohol or choosing not to drink at all. Well, I kind of feel like it's one of those things where you decide, you just say, I'm just going to, I'm limiting my alcohol. Um, I stopped drinking. I'm coming up on two years now. And it just was a decision I made. I just said, I'm just not going to drink um, because I'm, I want to see how can I do without it? All I was drinking was dessert wine, but you know, anyway, and, and I've been none the worse for it. I, I think I actually sleep a little bit better without it. Um, and then adequate exercise that's getting outside. The recommendation is that you're supposed to spend over two hours a week outside. So what I've been doing is instead of walking on the treadmill in the house or at the gym, I've been actually going out and walking up and down our street. And whenever I can, when I get out, I take a look up, you know, you know, you're getting ready to go into the, the grocery store or whatever. I've been trying to remind myself to look up and check out what the sky is doing. And the other day, um, I was driving home from doing some pre-recording at a studio here in St. Louis. And I looked out of my sunroof. I just kind of glanced up and I saw this amazing cloud stand. I don't think I've ever seen one like it. And it was not to the West. Normally for me, it's either looking East or West in, in St. Louis on our highways. We have this highway system. That's like a circle. And then there's a couple of highways that go East and West where there's three of them, 70, 64, 40, and then 44, which is route 66. And so if you're going East or West on any of those, there are certain points in the city and in the suburbs that you're up high and what's ahead of you is lower and you can see the skyline. And so what I try to do is look at that when I'm driving. But if I don't get out and I'm not driving anywhere that day, I try to look up and see the sky sometime during the day because it just, it kind of, you can feel your, your brain kind of just calm down as soon as you look at it. I, what I've also noticed is when I go outside to walk, even if it's a little rainy like it is today, I'll go out and I'll walk up and down our street and I get to looking at the trees and, you know, kind of noticing the breeze and then I might see a deer or the other day I saw a uh, um, frog that had been run over. 
and it was perfectly flattened. And I just glanced down at that. It just takes your mind off of everything else. Like you're outside and you have to look at what's out there. And so I, (laughs) again, whatever your system, some people like walking in the woods. Some people like walking out in the open areas. Some people, if you live in an area with lakes, you're, you're so blessed. You get to walk near the lake. Um, it, some people live near running water with streams or near the ocean, which is my favorite. The ocean is my absolute bar none. It's my favorite. Um, the sound of it, the vastness of it, you feel so tiny when you walk out to the beach and you hear the sound and the waves start to overtake you. And it's it's like all the stress just ekes out of your body and into the water. And then all you can do is just absorb what you can see and hear. And that is what we're meant to do. God gave us this creation to do that for us. Um, and I think it's really beneficial and it takes, basically you have to say, I'm going to put my phone down. I'm going to, you know, turn my TV off or just, I'm walking away from all this stuff. I'm going outside. Um, so the results were discussed at the Alzheimer's Association International Conference in Los Angeles and published online by the Journal of the American Medical Association. So about 50 million people in America have Alzheimer's or actually dementia. Alzheimer's disease is the most common form of dementia. Genes and lifestyle contribute to many diseases, but researchers have only recently had the tools and information to do large studies to see how much each factor matters. So Dr. Elizabeth Kuzma and colleagues at the University of Exeter Medical School in England used the UK Biobank to study nearly 200,000 people aged 60 or older with no signs or symptoms of dementia at the start. Their genetic risk was classified as high, medium, or low based on dozens of mutations known to affect dementia. They also were grouped by lifestyle factors. So after about eight years of study, 1.8% of those with a high genetic risk and poor lifestyles had developed dementia versus 0.6% of folks with low genetic risk and healthy habits. Now, when you looked at the people who had the highest genetic risk and just over 1% of those with favorable lifestyles developing dementia compared to 2% of those with poor lifestyles, it come up with the summary that they've given us here today. And I just want to make the point that it, you know, there's was another study we discussed here on the show. I think it was like a year and a half ago when I was telling you guys about how they said if you don't floss your teeth and you get gingivitis, it could also increase your risk of having uh, Alzheimer's or developing dementia. So these are factors as well. So basically good health habits, limiting your alcohol, um, you know, eating eating well and getting some exercise, you know, going outside and just treating yourself well can really play a role in whether or not you develop dementia. So it doesn't mean you won't, but it means that you could definitely lessen your chances by doing those things. And I thought that was really important for us um, as we go forward. You can find that link at the show prep over at Fireside. You can go to listen.stacyontheright.com to find uh, that great information that we have there. So um, yeah, then I wanted to talk about black home ownership dropping to an all-time low and I will get to that just now. I want to make one more point about what president said, uh, what, what the president said about the, uh, the group, the group, the squad chicas. Um, and remember, so the, the press actually took what the president said and made it sound worse than it was because the president did not mention the race or religion of any of the people he was talking about. He didn't actually mention their names until today. What he did say was that, and, and this was a tweet, so interesting to see progressive Democrat congresswomen who originally came from countries whose governments are a complete and total catastrophe. Was well, that not true? It's true. Um, the worst, most corrupt and inept anywhere in the world, if they even have a functioning government at all, now loudly and viciously telling the people of the United States, the greatest and most powerful nation on earth, how our government is to be run. And he's not saying they can't exercise their duties as members of Congress, he's saying they're trying to change everything about this country for the worse, and they're trying to make our country into a version of their country. And so why would any of us want to do that? Wouldn't it be easier instead of remaking America for us to just pack our little bags up and move to the countries that have the kind of government that these women are peddling? Yeah, okay. Maybe I'm talking too much sense right there with that. So... He then said, when will the radical left congresswoman apologize to our country, the people of Israel, and even to the office of the president for the foul language they've used and terrible things they've said? So many people are angry at them and their horrible and disgusting actions. And he's right. Um, There's nothing wrong with that. Now, look, 
this is why I didn't point out when we were discussing this in the first segment. And this is super quick. Just a couple bullets for you. First of all, there are 10 electoral college votes in the land of the lakes. Minnesota, he lost it by 45,000 votes, and the Republicans haven't carried that state in 47 years. So when he's looking at a state he could possibly add to his total, Ilhan Omar is gifting him the possibility of winning Minnesota. So if anyone's wondering, why is President Trump tweeting about the squad? Well, because they're fighting Nancy Pelosi and he sees a fight and why not participate in it? If he can jump in their fight without getting any of the mess on him and he can participate and capitalize on their disunity, why wouldn't he? He is running for reelection, by the way. Why wouldn't he do that? And last but not least, he already showed them how hard he's willing to work. While they're fighting each other in a Charlie Brown dirt ball, he will be traveling to Minnesota four, five, six times to make that 45,000 vote deficit a plus for him instead of, you know, where he lost by 45,000. All he has to do is win. It doesn't matter if it's by 10,000 or 20,000 or 45,000. He just has to eat up that $45,000 loss. And now he's got those 10 electoral college votes. And he's willing to make the trip again and again and again. He's already proven that. He'll go to the Rust Belt. He'll go to Florida. He'll go to New Hampshire. He'll go to Iowa. He'll go anywhere he needs to go to get the votes. He'll hold rallies. He'll talk smack. He'll tweet. He'll do whatever he needs to do to win. They are fighting. He's going to be working on winning. So that's why he's doing this. And I think it's brilliant. And I'm glad he's doing it. All right. So black home ownership rates. I said I would discuss that. I want to just get to that real quickly before we end up the program here. And of course, now I'm trying to pull the link up on my computer. And it's like, no, no, it's raining outside. I can't provide links to you because, yeah. All right. Here it is. Um, so this story was over at the Washington Post. Also at um, a lot of different websites, I found a version that wasn't behind a paywall over at San Francisco Gate, and you can uh, you can get get that link over there as well at the show prep. Um, this is interesting to me because in an economy like this, you would think that people would be out there buying houses like it was going out of style. Now, what this report is showing is that black home ownership has fallen. The rate of black home ownership it's fallen by eight. percentage points since its peak in 2004. And they're using census data to report this. Hispanic home ownership rates are on the rise. Black home ownership rates have dropped 8.6 percentage points. The divergence marks the first time in more than two decades that Hispanics and blacks, the two largest racial minorities in America, are no longer following the same path when it comes to owning homes. Analysts say black communities have struggled to recover financially since the housing crisis, and that has kept home ownership out of reach. Now, I could go into the rest of the data here. I'll just give you one more point. Homes in neighborhoods with a high concentration of white borrowers on average have seen their homes appreciate 3% between 2006 and 2017, according to the study. Homes in neighborhoods with high concentrations of black borrowers on average are worth 6% less than they were in 2006. So what is this about? Is it about mean banks or Donald Trump being a white racist? Or is it about cultural norms and attitudes that do not support home ownership and growth and positive, you know, real estate outcomes in neighborhoods? Yeah, that's a whole nother segment. We'll be back with you tomorrow. After-